Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, my last week took me to Dominican Republic and back. That was Monday through Friday. I was down there uh, getting to meet with a new pastor of a church that we're working with and kind of seeing some of the things that we're doing. And I don't know how many of you have communication problems going on in your day-to-day life. We have some at home right now because um, Kaylin is, has a, a lot of hearing loss due to like ear glue that she's got um, in her ears, and she, so she needs some tubes, uh, which we found out. We took her to the doctor. Perfect hearing is zero. He thought it was 20. It was actually a 30 on the hearing loss scale, so she can't hear very much. Of course, Megan had lost her voice for three weeks, so we have a daughter that couldn't hear and a mom that couldn't speak, uh, so that was really fun. And then to go from there down to the Dominican Republic, where we were working a lot of times without a translator, uh, to have people that could speak in Spanish, talking to people that can only speak in English, uh, to give you a small example of what comedically this looked like. Um, on Monday, we had, Tuesday, sorry, we had done a pastor's training school, and we're working on uh, sort of practical evangelism training. We had some excellent translators helping us with that. In fact, we made these little um, bracelets that we used to teach people how to share the gospel, okay, that each color symbolizes something, and we kind of showed how to make it and how to use it, uh, what each thing represents, so that um, their people can go out and share the gospel using a, a bracelet that they can give away. Well, after school was over, we had a chance uh, to have a free afternoon, and the one thing we had the hardest time communicating, uh, this was Keith Burnett and I, who he's a member of Roe, and so the two of us were down there together, and we couldn't quite get across. Um, the pastor would ask us, um, you know, what do you want to do? And we kept trying to tell him, whatever you want to do. Whatever you need to do, we're here, we're your guests, whatever you would like to do. He says, okay. Um, we had, so he started to take us out to visit some of, of their little church chapels that are out in the countryside. Uh, we'd been there before last summer. We'd already seen them. We'd already met the people. I was kind of thinking, okay, well, we've done this before. This is sort of a waste of an afternoon. Uh, we're going along the road, and all of a sudden we turn off on this little path that I'd never been on before. I'm thinking, okay, this is interesting. And our truck pulls up, and it parks, and the pastor pulls out his phone. He's got Google Translate on it, and it says, do you want to ride the horses? <laughs> Not really, but let's do it, right? Um, you know, let's, let's ride the horses. Uh, so he had taken us to one of the big tourist, destination, uh, tourist attractions in the area, is, are these beautiful water, this beautiful waterfall, it's about 120 feet, it's out in the middle of the jungle, you've got to do a 45-minute horse ride to get there, okay? We are dressed for pastor training school, which includes nice shirts, nice slacks, uh, dress shoes, and we're hopping on, let's just say they're not the largest horses I've seen. Um, in fact, I hopped on one, and they made me get off that one and get onto a bigger horse, and this was probably the only time I've ridden a horse that I probably outweighed. So this was not the most comfortable journey, to say the least, uh, let alone the fact that we're going, uh, you know, traveling up. Uh, we have, we've got to take these horses across a river, um, up this kind of steep embankment, covered in rocks. The horses, the, 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 the horse's feet are slipping all over the place, okay? And so you're riding a horse, and it kind of knows what it's doing, but it's also got you on the back of it. And it's not very happy with that. It takes us about 45 minutes. We get to the top. And now we're looking across this expanse, and we can see off in the distance, I mean, one of the most beautiful waterfalls I've seen in my life. 
Okay, and the, and the destination was worth it, and we come to find out a little bit later when we had some translation help that, well, the lady that kind of runs the company for the horses is a member of the church, and she's hoping that when we come back in July that we would like to bring some of our people up there. So they wanted us to get the full experience so that we could recommend this to our group. Um, it's, it's a great time. Uh, my horse was not going to make it back down the hill with me on it. So I uh, walked on in front of these horses and, you know, Let's just say I've, I've, had, I've not really had dirtier pants before in my life, uh, or shoes. I had to cross the river, all that fun stuff. Um, but So sometimes, sometimes communication is a problem, all that to say. Uh, that was just a little bit of the fun experience. Uh, they're, they're, they've got a great pastor down there. They're doing great ministry. Um, we're really excited to bring our team back down in July. Some of you guys may get to ride a horse, okay? Um, but you don't have to. And uh, we'll make sure that they know that. Before we get down there. Now, this morning we're going to continue looking at Psalm 51. And Psalm 51, of course, is this great psalm of repentance. And it's a, it's a psalm of lament. And this is David's prayer after he's confronted with his sin um, of uh, being with Bathsheba. Uh, so we're looking at Psalm 51 and we're going to turn to verses 10 through 12. And if you would uh, please stand with me. As we read the word of God together. Father God, we ask that you would open our hearts this morning to your word. That you would allow it to penetrate into our lives and our hearts. Lord, that we would clearly see the words that you have for us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is God's inspired word for us this morning, so you can have a seat. So this morning we're continuing with David and his journey of restoration. And as, as Randy said last week, the first step towards a new life, uh, towards a new heart, is understanding the reality that we actually find ourselves in. You know, as Randy said so greatly last week, we are not sinful because we sin, right? But we, are, but we sin because we are sinful. And as soon as we understand that, we can start to address the problem, now, I was thinking about that this week, and it brought me back to another experience we had in the Dominican Republic, uh, and this one involved our medical clinic and Dr. Cash. And we had this um, kind elderly woman that came through the clinic, and uh, she saw Dr. Cash, and she'd complained about um, some symptoms, and so he recommended her to, her to get tested, uh, her glucose to get tested, uh, a blood test. And from what I understand of these glucose tests, uh, the normal range is somewhere uh, between, you know, 60 and 120. Typically, anything over 200 is a symbol, is, signifies you have diabetes, right? Is that, that correct? So she goes for the lab test. We get back the number, and we're looking at it, and, and we kind of don't really know what to do. Okay, her number was 600, Okay. And so we're thinking there's definitely something wrong with this machine. Nobody had ever seen a number this high before. So we do another test, same thing, 600. Okay, just to make sure it's not 
it's still it's still working properly. You know, they test one of us, normal people, and it comes back. This machine is actually functioning properly. She has a blood sugar of 600. So Dr. Hash asks this fantastic question that I'll never forget. He says, has anyone ever told you that you have diabetes? <laughs> and she looks at him and says, yes, but I don't have it. <laughs> I just like to eat sugar, okay? I like candy, is what she says. I'm not diabetic, I just like candy, right? And, and it sounds great. But the problem with this is that but just because she thinks she's not diabetic does not change anything about the fact that she is diabetic. Okay, this is an issue that if she doesn't address, she's going to have serious health problems and had already started to experience them. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. It's just, it's unbelievable. Has anyone ever told you of diabetes? Yes, but I don't have it. You know, so that's the same reality that Christians find ourselves in as we're dealing with our sinful nature. Okay, and it, we, if we hear it enough, but sometimes we don't believe it, right? Has, has anyone ever told you you have a sinful nature? Yeah, but I don't think that I'm really that bad, right? Most of us kind of think something like that of ourselves. We are not actually that bad, so as we examine the nature of our human, of our soul, a lot of us are like this old Dominican woman, that we are told the results of this conclusive test, and yet we just want to dismiss them and ignore them uh, to think that we don't have a problem. Okay, you know the reality of our depravity oftentimes just is staring us right in the face. As Randy talked about last week, one of the first things we like to do is blame shift, uh, to throw people off where we think, maybe if I just don't deal with my sin for a while, it will go away. I'm sure none of you guys have ever thought that, have you? So here's David, right? And so David, what he has done is he's, he is not only, you know, to back up to where he first began to sin, he didn't go out with his army. It was the time when kings went out to war, he stayed home. He goes up and he covets after another man's wife. Uh, he brings her in. They have an affair. Uh, she's now with child. He tries to cover that up by bringing her husband home to make it look like it wasn't his fault. He doesn't go along with it. Now he has Uriah sent back out and killed. And now to sort of continue the cover-up, David brings Bathsheba into his house as his wife where she is now having a child. And this is sort of where David is thinking, if I just don't do anything about it, Maybe it will go away, right? So this is where he doesn't ever address his sin. And we can think, you know, how often have you, have you heard the term um, momentary lapse of judgment? Okay, David's momentary lapse of judgment lasted, and I'm not a professional, this is at least nine months, right? Nathan comes to him after the child is born. So for over nine months, let's just call it a year, David is not confronting the reality of his sin. He's done nothing about it except to try to sweep it under the rug, and now is finally time where the reality is coming back to find him. Okay, He, he cannot escape the reality of his sin. This has been almost a year. And now after finally he's been confronted by Nathan, David's words is as honest as it could have been, I have sinned against the Lord. Okay, I have sinned against the Lord. See, David understands now. Now his eyes have been opened, and now the process of restoration can begin. Because we can't do anything about a problem if we don't think we have a problem. Right? We can't address our diabetes if we're not diabetic. And so that's the same way with our hearts. 
So let's look at verse 10. What does it say? Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. You know, many commentators have noted that the word David uses here, create, is the same word that we find in Genesis chapter 1 when God creates the heavens and the earth. Okay, it is the same term. Uh, And what it means is this is a heavenly action. This is something that can only be done outside of ourselves. We need God to create in us out of nothing. You see, my problem is that when it comes to dealing with my sin, I can't really do much about it. You know, I can't create something new within myself. As, as humans, we do have this, this image of God, and, and God is a creator, and, and we are oftentimes imaginative and creative, and we can take things, and we can make new things, and, you know, we can have inventions and different stuff. But if the materials that we're working with is bad, then what we're going to wind up with is also something bad. You know, one of the things I like to do is I like to cook. And, and one of my favorite things to cook is hamburgers, okay? Um, love making hamburgers, make them for a lot of people. Now, if I start my hamburger-making process with tainted meat, and, and, I, and I throw in all my spices, and I, I add all my things, and I cook it for the right amount of time, and I serve you that burger, guess what? You're still going to get sick. See, I can take, if my raw materials are poor and I create something out of it, then I'm still going to have something that's poor. So this is what David understands, and he is saying, he's crying out, Lord, create in me a clean heart. God, you need to do this work in me, because I can't do it myself. So we already understand that we're sinful, but... Oftentimes, we can so easily fall into the same line of thinking. You know, isn't there something inside me that's worth saving? Well, isn't there something, can't, isn't deep down, aren't I kind of a good person? You know, isn't my heart somewhere deep down there? Can't, can't we just kind of scrub it really hard? Um, can't we just clean it up and it'll be good? You know, one of the things that's constantly on our television at home is uh, HGTV. Anybody ever watch that? They buy those houses, they look like they're about to fall down. Two weeks later, it's like a brand new house, right? What'd they save? Like a few two-by-fours and something else, and like the bones were good, and now they've created something great. Uh, We're not like that, okay? God doesn't just come in and put up some new drapes and say, all right, now you're good. But what he has to do, he's, he's got to remove what is bad and insert what is good. And this, again, is something that only God can do. You know, scripture tells us this pretty definitively in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. So I'd like you to turn there to Jeremiah 17. And in Jeremiah 17, God is talking about dealing with the sin of Judah. He's addressing this sin, not just of a person, but within a group of people and in verse seven, as chapter 17, verse 9, we have probably one of the most uh, damning statements on the condition of humanity. So chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things all things. So oftentimes I can think about myself and I look at my heart and I'm going, 
I'm not really that bad. That's kind of the first sign, because what's happening is I am deceiving myself. So even though I sort of understand the idea of sin, I understand the concept of maybe total depravity. If I'm a, if I'm a good Calvinist, you know, I understand that I'm not really good enough to get to God, but, but I still really feel about myself that there's something in there that maybe I can just fix it up a little bit. But if I listen to my heart, I will be deceived, guaranteed, because that's the nature of my heart, is it deceives. And the first person it deceives is us. And secondly, the human heart, uh, the secondly, it is desperately sick. Okay, the human heart is desperately sick. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 15. And when he's talking to the Pharisees and they're looking at, you know, they're trying to decide what is it that makes someone unclean. And of course, according to the Pharisaical tradition and law, it's, it was what you touched and what you were exposed to. And if you touched the wrong food or if you touched the wrong person, you weren't just like, go ahead to wash your hands clean, unclean. You were uh, unclean from your soul and you had to go through a, uh, purification, a ritual purification. Okay, and Jesus kind of throws that back on them, and he says, it's not what goes into the mouth, it's not what you eat that defiles you, but it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles a person. He says, do you not see whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. See, what is it that makes us so spiritually sick? But it's not com- what goes into our mouth, but it w- it's what comes out of it. It's, it's our hearts. Our condition is that we have a desperately sick heart. You know, some of you may know this about, about us, and some of you may not. Um, Megan, when she was uh, 18 months old, was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. Okay, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with it, like I wasn't familiar with it, when uh, I met her, it's a terminal, uh, it is a chronic illness, uh, it's a genetic mutation uh, where it does uh, two things primarily. One, uh, well, it, it works in your body to excrete uh, extra thick mucus, right? And so this affects you in two ways. One, it will attack and shut down your pancreas, meaning that uh, CF patients cannot digest food on their own. Okay, they don't make digestive enzymes, they have to take them orally. Uh, the second thing that it does is that it, it the mucus then goes to, also goes into your lungs. And so CF patients, oftentimes, they, without uh, breathing treatments and, and a lot of medication, they, their, their lungs will get full of this extra thick mucus, um, and, and it, it affects them very adversely. I never knew what it was because I never knew anybody that had cystic fibrosis. Of course, when I was growing up, the average life expectancy of someone with CF was 20 Okay, and so most people, the reason I didn't know anybody, because anybody that had CF, most of them were spending their time in the hospital, um, and then they never lived into their teens. So again, this was a, a very serious condition that I was kind of learning about her as, as we're dating, and, I'm, and she had always, she'd seemed fine and normal, and everything was great about her, but then I learned more and more about how this disease affects her body and how it affects other people. And what I started to understand was that a lot of CF patients, you know, even with those drugs, uh, little things like uh, the common cold and little bugs and bacteria that you and I can get and pass so easily, to them it, 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 can, it can be debilitating. And oftentimes I wind up in a, hosp- in a hospital for weeks trying to get over a cold. 
And in fact, at some point, uh, even with the right medication, even with the right treatment, at some point that mucus is working against you and will effectively shut down your lungs. Okay? So if you have bad lungs, you have two options, right? One, you go on a ventilator for the rest of your life, and you're probably going to die. Well, you're definitely going to die. Two, you can have a transplant. And if you know anything about lung transplant, you don't just get a lung transplant, but the lung works in conjunction with the heart. So you have a lung-heart transplant. That's what many CF patients need. They get to the point where their lungs aren't functioning, and so they need a lung-heart transplant. It is a very obviously invasive and risky surgery, and it is something still that only addresses kind of these symptoms, and at some point those CF patients, the disease will affect the new lungs, and it comes back. You know, when we deal with our sin, if we don't deal with it all the way, guess what? It comes back. Okay, it creeps back into our lives. And so we get to the point, until we get to the point where we look like this, where we, we tell God, God, create in me a new heart. I need a heart transplant, right? Spiritually, that is what I need because I can't fix that myself. If I'm a CF patient, I can do all the right things, take all the right medications, do everything I need to do. I am helpless to stop the progression of that disease. If I am a human, I've got a condition that's even worse than that, right? I've got this sinful nature that is inside of me that is affecting every part of me, and I am helpless to deal with it myself. That's where God comes in. Where God can look at our hearts, he sees what we need. And he sees we're helpless to deal with this on our own. And he offers us a heart transplant. A heart transplant. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. This is just after Jeremiah. And and limitations. Ezekiel chapter 36. Verse 25. See, God knows the situation we find ourselves in. This is not some type of hyperbole here, okay? Uh, This is just an illustration to kind of help us understand how bad off we really are. But there is hope. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27, says this. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleannesses. And from all of your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my laws. See, in the process of restoration, God provides the thing that we cannot provide for ourselves, which is the new heart. Not only does he give us this new heart, but he removes the old heart of stone. This is an invasive procedure. If God does not come into our lives and deal with us in an intimate, invasive way, we're helpless to deal with it on our own. And this is something that's only going to come back 
and get worse. It's like David and his sin. He didn't deal with it, and he swept it under the rug, but did that make him any less? Did that help him at all? No. This is the woman with diabetes in the Dominican Republic that doesn't understand that she has diabetes until she comes to the reality with it. She's never going to be able to deal with it. Okay, spiritually, we're the same way. I'm sorry this kind of got, this got really heavy, okay? But this is serious stuff. This is sin. But let's go back to the hope. So let's go back to Psalm 51. You've got verse 11 and 12. It doesn't just end there. God isn't just leaving us in our hopelessness. Verse 11 and 12, here's David crying out, Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. See, John Calvin says, It is natural that the saints, when they have fallen into sin and have thus done what they could to expel the grace of God, should feel an anxiety upon this point. But it is their duty to hold fast the truth that grace is the incorruptible seed of God which can never perish in any heart where it has been deposited. As Christians, when we are dealing with sin and we're thinking that all is lost and we're thinking that everything that God will never come back to us and there's nothing we can do to get back to God, here is God saying, I have planted something within you that cannot pass away. That's this new heart. I have given something that will never perish because I placed it there. And even David, who is a follower of God, who is a man after God's own heart, when he sins, he has something there that can never be taken away by any of his sin. See, our place in the kingdom has never been up to us. And it doesn't rely on my obedience. And that's something that David is brought back to at this point. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Okay, we can never out the grace of God. That's one of the amazing truths that we learn at some point that, that, that we grow. We can't out God. There's not a point where God just washes his hands and says, all right, that's it, I'm done with you, right? But when we come into the family of God, he doesn't just forgive our sins in the past. He doesn't just forgive our sins in the present, but he is able to deal with our sin in the future. And he sees all that laid bare before him, and he still invites us into his family as we bring his son into our lives, right? As we accept and understand the mercy and forgiveness of Christ. And though we can never lose our salvation, our sin can still separate us from the presence of God. See, sin can't cause us to lose our salvation, but it can cause us to lose our joy. And that's what David is experiencing here, right? It can cause us to lose our joy. That's why David says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. See, it's not the salvation that David lost, but it was his joy in it that seems so far off now. See, while he was living in sin and while he was not dealing with what was going on in his life, there was no joy. There was no joy. 
And, and so often we think, like, like the world around us teaches us, that joy comes from sin. Okay, but in reality, sin is the ultimate suppressor of joy. See, we think, we think it's backwards. We think that when we have freedom, when we have the ability to choose for ourselves, we think that when we do what our heart wants us to do, then we'll find our true happiness. Except the problem is that our heart is sick and our heart is deceitful. If we follow our heart, our heart is going to take us into some pretty bad places. You guys have probably heard this song called Let It Go, right? It's kind of popular. Um, Lily was going to sing it for us, but she backed out for me. So I'm going to do this William Shatner style, okay? Here's the, here's the, here's the words from Let It Go. This is kind of an anthem of this, the, the time, the age that we live in, right? Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. Here's another line. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. This is the world we live in. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free and I can find joy. And the problem with that is we can't find it that way, right? is that this is yet another lie that we've bought into because if we search for joy in sin, we'll never find it. We'll never find joy. See, true joy is only found in a relationship with Christ. That's the only place it's found. See, John Piper calls this Christian hedonism. He says that Christians are the ultimate pleasure seekers because they know that true pleasure can only be found in God. See, Christians are often accused of being prude or stiff or uh, goody-two-shoes or a a list of many other things, right? But Piper Piper says that's not really true. They are actually the ultimate pleasure seekers because Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. You know, where does a Christian's joy and delight come from? But in Christ. That's where it comes from. So true freedom, true joy, true happiness is only found in union with Christ. And once, long ago, back in Genesis chapter 2, man had that joy. We were there. We were with God in the garden. Everything was great. And sin entered in and affected everything. It affected our standing with God. It affected our relationship with each other. It affected our relationship with creation. And so now God is working, and he can work in our lives and in our hearts to remove what was lost and give us a new heart. Not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. He washes us pure through the blood of the land, that we might find what we have always been looking for, that true joy comes through Christ. So let's close with these verses from Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let's pray. 
Father God, you have done something that we could not do. Lord, and that is give us a new heart. Lord, you know our condition, you have seen our sin, and you know that we are helpless to do anything. And yet, God, you have done the work for us by sending your son, Jesus, to die for our sins. Not only that, Lord, but to give us a new life and a new heart and a new spirit. Father, I ask this morning that you would help us to be confronted with the reality of our sin. God, that if we have not dealt with it and only swept it under the rug, that it is not going to go away. But Lord, it is only coming to come, going to come back and without, unless we have a new heart. God, unless we are honest in our confession with you and our confession with others, Lord, we may not find joy. But God, restore to us the joy of our salvation. Lord, as we press into you that we would understand and realize your mercy and your forgiveness, God, and we would finally find the joy we've been looking for all along. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.